0: Hi, in the hills of Happy Valley, Oregon, welcome to Until We Meet Again, brought to you by the kind support of Cornerstone Funeral Services in Boring, Oregon, and friends like you. I'm Elizabeth Fournier. This radio broadcast is an expression of our common ground of mortality, because after all, we are all in this together. Today's reading is from the American Standard Bible. It's the Second Corinthians, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Daddy of mercies and God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. My guest today is Merritt Hearing. He's a retired letter carrier whose life was abruptly changed forever on July 3, 2007. It was the day his 16 year old son, Elliot, drowned at Cannon Beach after getting caught in a sneaker riptide. He writes about the whole experience in his book, Lessons Learned from a Son's Life and Death. We are doing a series on this book here at Until We Meet Again on KKPZ AM. Merritt, I really would like to talk in this show about what the horror is like of losing a son, losing a child. And just people don't have the unfortunate experience of this. And I really would like you to make it clear to people how painful this is.
1: You bet. Um, First of all, uh, those of us who have lost a child will sometimes joke that we are a part of a select club and we don't want any more members I have been asked several times over the years, what's it like to lose a child? Or a conversation will start up and they people find out that I've lost a child and invariably the question or the statement rather will always be made, I can't imagine. They're correct. You cannot imagine. It's a depth of pain that 12 years now I have not come up with the right words for it, Um I sometimes, and a little aside here, I get a little frustrated with people who write books about grief or specifically about grief of losing a child and they've not lost a child. Um, They need to shut up. (laughs) I mean that kindly, but you cannot write, it'd be like me telling somebody who gives piano lessons, well, this is how you should play the piano. The fact that I don't know where middle C is on a keyboard is irrelevant. You should just do it the way that I'm telling you. A person who's not lost a child has no business talking about what it's like to lose a child because they don't have a clue. Um, it is a pain that is indescribable. Um, one of the illustrations I came up with many years ago, uh, for those of us who, of my generation who grew up with Perry Mason or or Ben Matlock, uh, you think of in front of a courthouse, there's the statue of the lawyer with the, with the scales in your hands. And if you can imagine in your right hand laying every single trial you've ever gone through in your whole life. Now for me, if I look back at the trials I've gone through, um, I got teased a lot in, in school. I lost my father when I was only 17 years old. That was horrible. I've lost jobs. I've been dumped by girls. The stuff that most people go through, I, I would say losing my dad at 17 is a little more unusual, but I've had a lot of trials. And so you lay all those trials in my right hand, and my right hand gets lower and lower and lower as you put all those trials on one side. If you take my left hand and you put the trial of losing my son, that hand goes crashing down to the concrete and blows it up into a million pieces because that one trial outweighs all the other ones I've ever gone through in my entire life. I I think one of the biggest surprises for me was the indescribable, undefinable fatigue that I felt all the time. It's a tiredness that I I would not have thought possible. Uh, And not just tiredness that you feel, oh, I think I'll go down and take a nap. I'm talking about a mental, spiritual exhaustion every minute of every single day. Uh, I sometimes look back. I'm, you know, now twelve years out from losing my son, and I'm not sure how I ever got back to work and carried mail and walked twelve miles a day. I really don't know how I did it, but you do because, you know, I got used to electricity and eating food. So you have to work. Um, but even as I'm sitting here telling you this, I'm going there. There must be other words to use. I don't know what they are. All I know is that of all the things I've ever gone through, it is a pain, a, a heaviness of heart a destructive um, explosion on your soul unlike anything else I've ever gone through. And it's relentless. My eldest daughter, Maria, said one time, and I thought this was very brilliant, um, she was really missing her brother one day. This was probably about six months after Elliot had died. And she says, Dad, says when I think about the difficult things I've gone through in my life, says whether it be a term paper at, at college or I have this terrible exam coming up in my Greek class. Or when the dentist uh, appointment didn't go well. Says, and, she, and then she said this. And even you and mom's divorce. Says, I felt like there would be a date or an event I could take in my hand and figure to throw it out there at a certain point in the future. And when I got to that point, that trial would be over with. Says, I'm never going to get to that point with Elliot. I'm going to miss Elliot till the very last day of my life. And that's probably the most difficult thing is that um, it, it's a, a neverness. Uh, I came across this description in, in a book that another father wrote about lo- losing a child. And I need to I need to couch this with this very important truth, and, and, and we'll get to it more later. But I know I'm going to see my son again. My son had a relationship with Jesus Christ. I know he's walking in heaven with his Savior, and I will see him again at the end of my life. But right now... I'm a daddy who's missing his little boy. And it's very difficult to get the simple fact through your head that there's nothing I can do to change the fact that I'm never going to see my son again. He has missed his sister's wedding. He has missed the birth of two nephews and a niece. He's missed uh, his dad's second marriage. He's missed, he's missed, he's missed. And we've missed, we've missed, we've missed Christmases and birthdays and anniversaries and picnics and everything. And we always will. Almost anything else you go through in your life, including a bad marriage, conceivably you could do something to make that trial go away. There is nothing I can do for the rest of my life, this side of heaven, where I'm ever going to see my son or have a conversation with him again. Nothing, nothing ever. And sometimes that's almost more than you can take because it's the only thing in your life that's like that.
0: So how bad does it get?
1: You're walking along delivering the mail. A song comes on the radio that isn't even necessarily an emotional song, but it takes you to a time when maybe you remember hearing that in the car with your kids. And the next thing you know, you're sobbing uncontrollably. And you don't know how to stop it. Um, It's getting to a holiday or his, his birthday Uh, Oh, my word, the first few years his birthday was, uh, it was awful, because we're supposed to be celebrating and having cake and cookies and and presents, and he's not there. And again, it's that neverness that not only is he not at this birthday, he's not going to be at the one next year either. My son would now be 28, but he's always 16. And I think about my daughters, uh, who obviously hopefully will outlive me, I think of my daughters being in their mid-80s, and their brother will have been gone for 60 years. Uh, that's extraordinary to me. I know that my pain has a deeper depth than theirs, but they're going to miss him longer than me. Um, but I want to I get to the other side of that just for briefly. I also know because of my son's faith and because of my faith that the closer I get to my death is the closer I get to seeing him. I I have pictured myself on more than one occasion. You know, I'm I'm 87 years old. Why I picked 87, I don't know. Uh, But I'm 87 years old, and and I know that I'm dying. And I know I'm down to my last few days because I have some hopefully unpainful disease I'm dying from. And the realization that I'm just a few days away from seeing my son, why would I be afraid of death? Now, as a Christian, I'm not afraid of death anyway because I know where I'm going. I know I'm going to see my Savior's face. I know where I'm spending eternity. And, and I, I get that the, the quote-unquote churchy thing to say is, when I die, I'm going to see my Savior's face. Yes, that is completely true. But I'm not missing Jesus right now. I'm missing Elliot. And so if I have to be honest, what I'm the most excited about about dying is I'm going to get to see my boy again. That's,
0: that's pretty cool. You are really open and candid in your book about the pain, the suffering, and you're really just clear about it, where you just take the time to really lay out the emotions and words that we all can see. There's a sliver of hope that I thought was so neat, and I stared at it for quite a while. You talk about the fact that even though your son, you see him as 16 and that's all you have, he will never be hurting again. And I thought that was so brilliant. I and,
1: just I just talked about this... Um, Uh, at a church service a few weeks ago. Uh, And when I do it, if you can see me visually, I kind of get a little bit snarky about it, to be perfectly honest. And and I asked the audience, it says, so who all has children? And of course, almost everybody raised their hands. And I said, all of you who have children, your child is going to be hurt at some point. They're going to get dumped by um, a boy or girlfriend. They're going to lose a job or worse. They're going to have a job they hate, or they're going to have a broken leg from skiing or whatever. All of your children are going to hurt again. And then I got this really silly gleeful look in my face and says, my son's not my son. Elliot is never ever going to hurt again. He is in 100% total blissful joy walking in heaven with his Savior, and that's the way he's going to be from now until forever. And however you want to fine forever, I can't. But he's never, ever going to hurt again, and that's really comforting for a daddy.
0: My guest today is Merritt Hearing. We're talking about his book, Lessons from a Son's Life and Death. He is so honest and open about how he talks about this that churches have actually asked him to come in and speak, and you have lots of videos out there. So how does that feel to not only tell your story on the written word, but have an audience just glued to you while you share the reality of this? It's
1: kind of surreal. Um... It's also a valuable lesson that when you are feeling very emotional and you pray to God, you better mean it, brother. I was about six weeks into this process. Uh, It was probably the middle of August. Elliot died on July 3rd. I was having a horrible night, uh, sobbing, couldn't stop. and And I'm a teacher by nature. I teach an adult saint school class at my church. I have for almost 20 years. I threw myself down on the floor, and I says, God, please, if I have to go through this much pain, can just do something with it. Make it help somebody, but do something positive. I don't want to have this much pain for no reason. And then a few years later, God tapped me on the shoulder and said, you're going to write this book? And I said, no. And he said, yes. Um, because what I wanted to do was go and speak about it. Um, and I ended up writing the book, and I'm also speaking about it. And and I am and available. Um, the book is available on Amazon.com. And if they're interested in having me come speak to a church, a high school group, a grief class, a Sunday school class, your mom and dad, two people, contact me through the station and I'll be more than happy to do whatever I can. Because for me right now, Elizabeth, my primary ministry, I, I still teach at my church, what I want to do is come alongside other people who have lost children and be honest with them about how hard it can be, but also offer the hope they can have.
0: So necessary, because like you mentioned, you'll be out grocery shopping and somebody's busy weighing bananas and you almost want to scream, how can you be going on with your life and weighing bananas? My son has died. And people who go through that experience don't necessarily have people who are part of the club who've had somebody die and have a child that they can sort of relate to or get some information from.
1: I've wondered many times over the years, you, you meet these people in a grocery store, gas station, restaurant, and they're just angry all the time at everybody. And I've wondered over the years, are these people who have lost somebody dear to them and they they haven't had any kind of healing, they haven't had an outlet to get some kind of mental and spiritual health?
0: What advice would you give somebody who has a dream, like you say you have about Elliot, where in the dream the child is alive, your son was alive, and then you have this wonderful dream, you wake up and you have that nice moment and then it all turns where you realize, oh my gosh, that was just a dream. Do you do you encourage people to write down the dream or record it or what?
1: I don't have specific advice other than to, you have to be willing to face what you've just gone through. Uh, if you have that dream, and I remember the first time I had a dream about Elliot and waking up and just being devastated, almost having to relive the grief all over again, Um I don't dream about him as much now as I used to, and most of the time, um, and I'm not sure how this works because I don't understand dreams, sometimes I almost seem to have this conscious realization that I'm in a dream, and so I just kind of enjoy getting to be with him for a little bit. Everybody interprets dreams in different ways. Uh, Some people think it's very, very deep and you're actually experiencing this. Other people think it's, well, yeah, you ate a pepperoni pizza that night, so of course you're going to have a bad dream. So I don't have specific idea other than that you had to at least face a reality of what you're dreaming. And for some people, writing that down may be very healthy.
0: Yeah, and I love your attitude that we all go through this differently and what worked for you maybe doesn't work for somebody else. So for having specific instruction isn't always the best. No,
1: and and, and that's one of the things. Uh, a book I read um, talked about the fact that they, they describe grief as a mystery because you don't know what it's going to be like until you go through it. As I mentioned earlier, I lost my father when I was 17, and I was a very young, naive 17. I lost my child when I was 52, and they're completely different. I mean, one of them, for one reason, I'm 30, 40 years older the second time, also as a child instead of a parent, but in the last 12 years, I've probably had 100 or more conversations with people who've lost children. Every story is different. Every response is different. Um, I can only talk about what I went through. For example, uh, the day of my son's memorial, I had one of our dear ladies of our church come up and she said, I can't imagine anything worse than what you're going through. Now, where it came from, I had an instantaneous response. I says, oh, I can. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, one says, my son was not abducted. Says he's not disappeared. And who knows what's happening to him by some sexual predator. Says, second of all, my son didn't die violently. He didn't die of some horrible disease that wasted his body away for six years. He wasn't cut to pieces by a madman. He died relatively pain-free in a span of three minutes. I'm really thankful for that. I'm I'm sorry, and it, and it, sometimes it makes it hard for me to minister to people who have gone through or they've lost a child to a violent situation or or if they've taken their own life, which is a whole nother kettle of fish. That's, I can't even begin to describe what that must be like. I, I have relationships with a couple of people who have, and I try to be the help that I can. But for me to talk about, this is what you should do, is just as silly as the people I mentioned at the beginning of this broadcast, that you know, you don't you don't know what you're talking about if you think you know what it's like to lose a child and you haven't. So you really need to stop talking. So when I talk to somebody whose who's child has taken their own life, I, I kind of play it very close to the vest and just talk about what I know. Because... I don't know the kind of pain they're going through. It's a whole different level than what I've gone through.
0: There's four big truths that you believe in. I'll start with number one. I'd like you to maybe talk about all four of these. Sure. So number one, there is hope in every trial. Oh, absolutely. Uh, If I may. You uh, may. The Apostle Paul,
1: man, that guy was a weird dude. He had some silly ideas, and I'm, I'm talking with my tongue firmly in cheek, but... Listen to this out of Romans 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Elizabeth, isn't that fabulous? That's fabulous. Do you know what he says next? He goes, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. But the next phrase is the most important, in my humble opinion. But hope does not disappoint. One of the things I always try and tell people about this journey I've been on, as horrendous as it has been, I have never known such tenderness and compassion and love from my Heavenly Fathers I have these past 12 years, and I wouldn't change it for anything. Uh, Johnny Erickson, who we all know has been in a wheelchair for 52 years, was having a conference one time and made this amazing statement. She said, I would rather be in this chair and have Jesus than be walking around without him. I mean this sincerely, I, I don't like what I've gone through. I wish there had been some other way to learn the lessons I've learned and to draw closer to God than going through the loss of a child, but I would rather have lost my son and be walking with Christ than to still have my son with me and not have my relationship with Jesus. It's a no-brainer. I don't even have to think about that, and that may seem foreign to some people. It may even seem kind of disgusting to some people. But the relationship I have with Christ is so precious and so tender, and most importantly, it's so true that everything else has to pale in comparison to that. And that's not just i might not just being Jesus-y or Christian-y. I honestly believe that.
0: So big truth number two, we are to live the abundant life.
1: Yes. it, And it's natural— In the first few months, especially in the first couple of years after Elliot died, you're sad virtually every moment. There's no way to escape that. It's perfectly normal and it's perfectly healthy. As the years have gone by, I have begun to appreciate life more. And I don't mean that in the hallmark sense that uh, the trees are greener and the flowers smell better. No, I mean it in a more real way. And you have to personalize it. Now I'm going to get silly here for a minute. Uh, my whole church, if you were to stand in front of my entire church body where I attend church and say, what's Merritt's favorite musician? They would, in unison, yell out, Neil Diamond. I've been a Neil Diamond fanatic for 40 years. And I love Neil Diamond's music. But since my son's died, I love Neil Diamond's music. It speaks to me. Classical music, as we, as we may or may not have time to talk about, is so important to me. The things that we just walk through life and they just happen around us, when you go through... This kind of emotional upheaval, if you let let it, they can become much more precious. If you don't, they become just annoying, and that's really, really sad. God has been very gracious to me in the fact that friendships and baseball games and reading a book and listening to Chopin are precious to me now more than they ever have been because of that abundant life.
0: So big truth number three is heal your family where the healing is necessary.
1: <sighs> I'm very... Grateful because I had a good relationship with my son. The last time I saw him, he had spent the weekend with me and was headed down to the beach to go back home where he lived with his mom, Cynthia. I hugged and told him I love him. When he got on the bus, I never saw him again. I have no regrets. If you get nothing out of this program other than what I'm about to say, then my time here will not have been wasted. If your relationship with your child is not healthy, go fix it today. If you wait till tomorrow, it might be too late. You may get that phone call that I did that all of a sudden your child is gone. And when I say do it today, I mean like now, like turn off the radio program with this old mailman chatting at you and go make a phone call or a text message or an email or even throw it in the mail because we still do that these days in America. Contact that child and do whatever it takes to repair that relationship because you don't want to have that phone call happen and then you've lost your chance.
0: And then the gospel truth.
1: There are people who go through this healthily, that's a, a word I've invented since I wrote my book, healthily, who don't have a walking relationship with Christ and God, and that's okay. That That's between them and God, or them and not God in their, in their case. And they can do it, and I've met them, and they're, and they're doing well. All I can tell you is that from my point of view, The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the grace he gives us from the repentance of our sins is the only way I have gotten through the past 12 years. It's there all the time.
0: Now, another big way you got through the past 12 years is by your classical music, and I think it's very important, and I want to talk about it.
1: Oh, yes. Um, I went back to work. Uh, I am a person that, by nature, I am hyper-emotional, and I think about everything, and I overthink everything. And I'm out delivering mail for six hours by myself. And my brain's gonna go in all kinds of terrible places with my son dead. My daughter suggested I turn on my radio and start listening to classical music, 89.9. I guess I'm promoting another radio station on another radio station, is that allowed? And about the same time I started listening to the classical radio station, they had a dear lady started working there named Krista Wessel. And for the next eight years of my career, Krista walked with me on my mail route. we let other people listen in, but it was basically just <laughs> basically just her and me. He she played me music and told me about the artist and the composers and I listened in and, and I I can't and, and I, I hate this terminology, but for the sake of this question you've asked me, I'm gonna use it. Secular versus Christian or church stuff. Of all the secular things that God used to heal me during this time, classical music by far was the most important. Um, Krista was there in my pocket playing Chopin and Beethoven and Liszt and whatever it was I seemed to need day to day to get through the day if I was melancholy and she played on some Chopin I'm going oh that's how I feel I need this to emote and then maybe an hour later, I'm going. You know, I could use a pick me up, and she List, and you know, list is kind of the deep purple of of classical music. And boy, man, I love this. This is great. I need this pick me up. Um, and and I could I could spend the next hour just talking about Krista and classical music. And, and it ends up I have a whole chapter on it in my book, um, and I actually have another chapter in my new book that's going to come out in a few months. Um, so I, I can't even I don't know how to underemphasize it because it was that important. I don't know how I would have gotten through my days at work if I had not had Krista Wessel and Klausling Music in my little shirt pocket.
0: It's beautiful, and it's a distraction, but it's also an uplift and something God sent directly to you that helped you ease the burden and go through your daily life. So absolutely very important, and how wonderful, because he brought you new friends in your life for that.
1: Oh, yes, absolutely.
0: Tell me about the new book.
1: Yes, um, as you mentioned earlier, I was a mailman, a walking mailman for 30 years in Southeast Portland, pardon me, 30 years, 27 of which was in Southeast Portland uh, in the same neighborhood. Uh, I got to watch uh, families getting very involved with them. I watched kids grow up and become adults and then come back with kids of their own and say, Mr. Merritt, you're still the mailman here for my mom and dad. Uh, It was an amazing journey. And I have written a book, I can't tell you the title yet, Mm -hmm. uh, but I've written a book uh, about my Journey as a Walking Mailman in the Same Neighborhood for 27 Years. I hope it will be available by September 1st. It's currently, the cover's being designed as we speak today.
0: And you you wrote it under the name Merit Hearing? I did. Same okay. name,
1: same name, and it will be self-published just like my first book. And it will be available on Amazon.com, I said, hopefully by the 1st of September.
0: The first book that we've been talking about is called Lessons from a Son's Life. And death, do you have a website that you send people to as well?
1: I actually do not at this point. We've talked about it a couple of times and it's just not my thing yet. I'm sure at some point I'm going to have to, but again, probably the best way for them to get a hold of me if they want if they want the book amazon.com, if they want to contact me either to have me come speak or just because they want to have a conversation to come to the station.
0: I think it's excellent to bring that up too because people always say, "Well, oh, let me look at Instagram or let me look at Facebook," but some people actually like old-fashioned communication. Telephone works great. Yes,
1: yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
0: And so you're open to speaking to people. I think that's oh, fantastic because yeah. some people hide behind the written word.
1: And I'm, I'm comfortable to speak in front of 3,000. I'd be just as comfortable to speak in front of three. It, it, that really doesn't matter to me.
0: Yeah, that's a nice gift. You've been listening to KKPZ, 1330 AM, The Truth. Thank you so very much to my guest, Merit Hearing. And until we meet again next week, be excellent to each other.